Okay? So I just wanted to have you do the introduction for him. Thank you, Kurt. Um, so you know, you know I don't like to stand up here and talk. Can you guys hear me, by the way? I just want to know if I'm doing it right. Okay. So, um, but when Kurt asked me, I decided, you know, he asked me to actually pray about it because I normally would have just said no right off the bat. Um, but so I prayed about it, and um, I decided to say yes, obviously. And so um, I, what I want to do is talk about Jim for just a second because he was the, he's really my first real pastor. Um, we started going to a startup church that he was um, uh, doing in Danville, California. We started there, it was about 100 people, and um, we heard about this, it was just different. And it was a, basically a charismatic um, church, but it was, um, it's where I grew up uh, in the Lord. I was in my early 20s. And, um, and so I, I just want to say that this man is a man, of, he's a pastor. He's a pastor's heart. He, he really shepherded me through my growth. He taught me how to lead home groups. Um, and uh, he taught me how to worship. And I think when you hear him today, you will get a pastor's heart. You will hear um, about how to, uh, just what God would really have for you. He contends for the authentic in relationships and with his relationship with God. And that's, he wrote a book called Contending for the Authentic. And it's very awesome. And um, I just want to ask you to come up, Jim, and um, just welcome, you as a congregation, welcome my pastor of, how many years ago was it, Jim? <laughs> I think it's at least... 30 years ago? It's more than 30, because I've been up here 30 years. So it's, it was 1978, so what's that? Yeah. So, woo! Thank you. Well, good morning. It's always good to be at Lake Sam Church. I have a deep affection for your pastors, a great respect for them. I've always been impressed with the quality of their leadership and the depth of wisdom they bring to the teaching of the Word of God. This is a well-fed congregation, and it's obvious, and I thank God for them and for you. And thank you for giving me about 30 minutes of your time this morning. Really? I, I don't talk as long as Kurt does. <laughs> I figured if you can't get it done in about 30 minutes, you don't have anything to say. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Actually, in the last four years since um, retiring as a pastor, where I used to take my liberties and speak a little longer, I found that the shorter I preach, the more I get invited back to churches. So that's, that's why I've shortened it up, actually, so that they'll, they'll have me back, say, hey, we need some more of that, or whatever. So anyway, it's really nice to be here. It's a crazy week in our life. Uh, my wife is not with me today, because last Wednesday of this week, um, we moved. We moved from the home that we... Um, had down in the Browns Point neighborhood of Tacoma where we moved after retiring from Eastside uh, with a beautiful water view and we thought, hey, this is gonna be it. It was just a few blocks from where our daughter, our one and only daughter lived and, and then uh, a couple of years later she moved away. <laughs> moved to Los Angeles with her husband because of some family things they had to take care of down there. So here we are down in the middle of nowhere 
saying, what are we doing here? Except enjoying a view of the water in Mount Rainier. And all of our friends are up here. Everybody that we've spent 18 years of our life pastoring are living around up here. And, and so we decided to move back to the east side. And we bought a, we bought a little place up in, in Mill Creek. You probably don't really want to know all this, but I need to say it because I'm kind of venting right now before I preach. So anyway, Wednesday, the movers came. We packed all of our things into, these, into this moving truck and we're ready to move up and unpack in Mill Creek. Didn't seem like it was gonna be a big deal. And we get a call from the escrow company saying there's been some kind of a snafu in the paperwork and they can't close on the house and we can't move in and they're not sure when we can. Now I got everything, including my underwear, packed in that moving van, okay? <laughs> Like I said, TMI, you know. <laughs> so we move into a motel and um, wait to find out when we're going to get to move into our new house, which is right this very minute. So my wife is at our new house supervising the movers. That's why she's not here. So she sends her greetings, sends a curtsy to you. It's always nice to come here because we get to see some of the refugees from Eastside Foursquare Church. <laughs> that have come down here, you know, that big beast that we pastored for 18 years up the road there, and it's good to see you here and under good pastoral care and, and to just uh, see everybody else. So it's good to be here. We have uh, three grown kids. Our um, oldest son is a D1 basketball coach. He's the head basketball coach over at Eastern Washington University. They won the Big Sky Conference this year, and they just went to the dance. So... Thursday, we're down in Portland watching them get beat by Georgetown University. But they, they, gave, they gave it a good fight and lost by eight points, but nevertheless. Um, so did that, then came, then I've been the last, ever since then I've been up in Canada teaching at the Foursquare Bible College in Canada, an intensive course. So on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I've been teaching, if you can believe this, eight hours a day. And I'm exhausted. Plus, I, I can't find my underwear. <laughs> so I had to go to the store. And here I am. And as soon as I'm done preaching to you, I've got to go finish a freaking move. <laughs> which I'm not really looking forward to. Especially this 70-year-old body of mine. It's aching. You know what I'm talking about? But it's always good to be with the people of God in the presence of God, and it's always good to, to, um, to get into the Word together. So you wouldn't mind if I sit a little bit this morning? Is that okay? Huh? Because I'm not sure that I can stand up, actually, this morning, so this is kind of going to work pretty good for me, but I doubt if I'll stay on my feet very long. Um, in the midst of all of this, I really have tried to pay close attention to the Lord Jesus about what I would share with you given this privilege and opportunity to speak into the life of this church today. And um, I felt drawn to, um, to share with you out of the life of Abraham for a few minutes this morning. But before we, we visit Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, we need to go to Philippians chapter 3. So my jumping off place is going to be a prison where the Apostle Paul is incarcerated writing the, uh, the epistle to the uh, 
to the church in Philippi. So I don't know if you have a Bible with you or a smartphone or an iPad or what kind of a device you're packing, but would you open it to Philippians chapter 3 and, uh, and let me share with you what's, what's on my heart. My topic is never give up. I don't know about you, but I, I occasionally feel like giving up. I don't mean renouncing God. I don't mean, you know, turning my back on the things of the Lord. I just mean throwing my hands up in the air and somehow giving in to the notion that my problem is bigger than my God. Have you ever done that? And I discover from time to time that I have allowed my concept of my God to be too small. Because the truth of the matter is that I've learned is that God does his best work when I finally do give up. Because then I can't play God anymore. I have a tendency to like to play God. Um, I somehow think, I call it temporary insanity when I play God. I get this idea that I have a, I have a better handle on what's going on than he does. And if I could just take care of this, things would work out just fine because obviously he's, he's blowing it because it's not turning out the way that I think it should. So obviously he doesn't care, or he's not there, or he's just, it's just too sophisticated for him, you know? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm moving back to the east side. I'm pretty sophisticated. I have very modern, very complicated issues in my life. And God's kind of ancient, and I'm not quite, quite sure if he can, you know, take care of my stuff for me, so I have to play God. I'm being a little, you know, a little sarcastic, a little tongue-in-cheek, but we, we think like this sometimes. And so we suffer from temporary insanity and decide that, okay, well, I'll straighten this one out myself. And uh, things just seem to go from bad to worse. Have you noticed that? Hello? Yes. Of course, you're, you're looking at me like, well, I've never done that before. Well, you, we do it all the time. Because I'm of the personal impression that when we come in here, when we come into rooms like this and do the kind of things that we've doing, been doing this morning together, that this aspect of the Christian life, this is easy. This is the easy part. We can actually, for a few minutes, follow the things that the Lord has said to us and give him our undivided attention and sense his presence, which is with us all the time, but somehow we sense his presence more when we get into rooms like this, which is really actually a, a big mistake. And sometimes we even train ourselves that it's in places like this where we hear God. We don't hear God anywhere else. We come here to hear God. And the rest of the time, you know, the, 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 the skies are brass. And so we just have to kind of take care of things ourselves, and that's when we have a tendency to think, well, maybe the best thing to do would be to just give up, kind of give up on God. And... Uh, I think that we spend most of our time wondering if God is there. Now, how many of you believe that God is still talking? Let me see your hands. God is, yeah, of course, we've, we've heard the Lord speak to us here this morning. How many of you believe that God has a plan for your life? So how many of you um, think that it would be important to be able to, to decipher, to hear the voice of God? 
You're probably getting tired of raising your hands, but I'm trying to get you to buy in on this. Now, I expected that kind of response because this is a prophetic community. Lake Sam is a, a prophetic community. A prophetic community is a group of people who believe that God is still talking. And we give him our attention that, that there's not been a cessation of the voice of God for some reason that so many Christians interestingly believe that God isn't talking anymore. So we believe God is talking. And God talks to us in a, in a lot of different ways. He speaks to us primarily through his word, through the book, through our Bible. Of course, a lot of us don't read the Bible very much, so that's kind of a problem. So it's pretty difficult for God to get our attention through the book because we're just not cracking it very often. We prefer that Pastor Brunk and some of the others do that for us and then, you know, spoon-feed us portions of Scripture. And, uh, and then we wonder why... In the middle of the week, we don't know what to do. Unless we, of course, get on the phone and call somebody who reads the Bible. Another way that God speaks to us is he, he speaks to us through other people. Thank God for these people who came forward today and shared what God laid on their heart. Thank God for preachers and teachers. You know, thank God for people that are home group leaders and try and open up the Word of God to us and God will speak to us through his word, uh, and he speaks to us through people. But you've got you to gotta, you gotta watch these people that are talking to you and calling it God. You know what I'm talking about? There's a whole lot of people out there that are saying stuff and saying it's God. So how are you going to know if it's God or not? Because of, well, you're going to know it's God because you get to know the people that are talking. Did you hear me? That's what the Bible tells us to do. Get to know the people that are talking to you and saying it's God. And, and by the fruits of their life and by the consistency of not just their testimony but their experience and the, the way that those things work together is going to help you to understand whether you should pay attention to them or not. So I'm not just going around listening to anybody who says they have a word from God for me. The Bible says test this stuff. Can you say amen to that? So if you're going to be a part of a prophetic community, then you have to actually get involved in community. You know, how many of you knew those two ladies that shared with you this morning? I mean, how many of you know them? You need to get to know those ladies if they're going to come up here and talk to you like that. You say, well, how do I do that? You, you take time to get into community. And you'll find out that there is a consistency between their testimony and their experience. Most of the time, God just speaks to us personally and individually. Now, I might just simply add this hermeneutical point, and that is that God, when God talks, he always sounds like his book. He never contradicts his book. Can you say amen to that? If somebody's got some new truth, some new revelation that's just kind of goofy and doesn't square with the Bible, then you shouldn't be paying any attention to it. Right? But then, of course, if you're not reading the Bible, you wouldn't know. And here you are in a prophetic community. But most of the time, just God's, God just speaks to us personally and individually. 
I don't know about you, and I don't, don't look at me like I'm crazy when I say this, but I'm carrying on almost a constant personal conversation with God. And, and it isn't, you know, I'm not talking to myself. I've really come to understand that, that God wants to lead and to guide and to direct and confirm, to correct, and to help me uh, 24 and 7 if I'll just learn to pay attention to him. So basically my jumping off place today is that if you believe all this stuff about God's voice and God's will and that he's contemporarily speaking to people and there's different ways he speaks to us, probably one of, then one of the most important things you could ever do as a child of God would be to learn to discern the voice of God. What do you think? So you just can't believe that God's still talking and not take the time to find out what he sounds like to you. That, that's inconsistent. So what are you doing? I'd like to help you with that today a little bit. But what are you doing so that you can ascertain, so that you can discern, so that you can decipher, so that you can hear God when he wants to say something to you? Now, the problem with it is that most of the time when we need to hear God, our senses are telling us that he isn't around. Because most of the time that we need to hear God, we're having trouble. Hello? These strategic moments in every stinking day of our life, when something is not turning out the way that it was supposed to, This is reality. When we come here on Sundays and everything's perfect, we don't talk about the reality that we had several very critical moments in our life this past week where we wondered if God was there. We wondered if he even cared and couldn't hear him at all because our circumstance, our situation had overwhelmed our ability to hear God and to know what to do. Now, some of you have moved on past that, and you're probably sitting there smugly saying, I don't need to listen to this guy talk to me like that. But believe me, you know, I don't care how spiritual, spiritual you are, and praise God that you're spiritual. You're going to have a day like this. If you haven't had one lately, there's one coming. I just want to warn you. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I've been, I'm 70 years old. I'm old. You know, I'm not growing hair on my head anymore, but it's still coming out my nose. I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have any hair growing out my nose when I was young. I had hair growing out of my head back then. And now it's coming out my nose. What is that all about? So I've been around a while. And so I, I take you into Philippians chapter 3. if I can get this to work. Do I point it back there? Point it this way? What is the determined ducklings? What is that? There's your passage of scripture. Okay, there we go. All right. What is that? I, di I didn't create that slide. I think they're playing a trick on me. I need the Philippians 3 one that I see right there. Why isn't it? Good grief. What are you guys doing to me? <laughs> My message this morning is entitled, The Determined Ducklings. <laughs> hmm? 
I've never seen that in my life. Okay. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I love the candor of the apostle here. This is the guy we call Saint Paul. You know the guy with the halo? The guy that wrote, what, 13, 14 books of the Bible? And look at how he starts. I haven't figured it out yet. I like that. You know, I, I can identify with that. Because I'm going to be the first person to tell you today, and I'm the one giving the advice this morning, I haven't figured it out yet. And I get nervous when I find people who act like they have. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this observation. When discouraged, some people will give up, give in, or give out far too early. They, they blame their problems on difficult situations, unreasonable people, or on their own inabilities, you know, because we like to play the victim. When discouraged, other people, however, will push back that first impulse to quit, push down their initial fear, push through feelings of helplessness, and push ahead. They're less likely to find something to blame and more likely to find a way through. comes from Steve Goodyear's book, Life Support Systems, a very good read. But I'm going to go back a slide now, I hope, to there. So here we find, as I had said, the Apostle Paul in prison. The entire book of Philippians was written while he was incarcerated. And sometimes the book even makes more sense to us if we read it remembering that, every verse of it. The circumstances that he was in. He was living in a situation where things weren't working out the way that he had planned. This was not a happy time in the life of the Apostle Paul. But yet, in the midst of the disappointment and the suffering, he wrote one of the most important books of the entire New Testament. A book for people like you and me who spend most of our time not in here but other places. And probably half of that time into situations where we really know if the truth would be told that we're in over our head. Days when we want to turn in our mother buttons. Days when we like to walk out of the office and just go scream at the sky. Days when the pain is almost too much to bear. Days when the the first thing you think of doing to cope would maybe to fall back into some old pattern like Maybe I need to get a drink to get through this. Days when you'd like to kill your teenagers. Days when rather than get a divorce, you're considering a homicide. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> 
I, I'm just trying to be honest. Uh, I, I, I'm up thinking about me and just lots of people that I know and people that I've pastored and just thinking about what life is like and saying, today I feel like giving up or giving in or giving out. And my promise, my premise today is that those are the days, if there ever were days, those are the moments, if there were ever moments, that you must be able to hear God. And to be able to say like the Apostle Paul did from a prison cell, this one thing I do, I press on. Can you say amen to that? This one thing, I'm going to take one step at a time out of this situation. And I'm going to find my way out of it by learning to discern the voice of God. Well, there's Abraham. I like this little caricature of Abraham. This is not a photograph of Abraham, by the way. We don't have any photographs of Abraham. We don't actually know what he looked like, but I like this picture that... I'd like to think that that's Abraham because I like that expression on his face because I can identify with that because I think he's, he's, he's saying, okay, God, what's going on now? It's kind of like... I've been a good boy and everything's all screwed up and where are you? And so we're going we're gonna to use that picture in this message today. Abraham was a man who lived inside of a promise over 4,000 years ago. You know, when you open your Bible to the book of Genesis in chapter 12, God hadn't really been speaking to anybody for quite a while. And Genesis, we, open, we come to Genesis 12 and the Bible says that Abram, that was his name at the time, heard the voice of God. And we just read that and go merrily along our way and say, that's cool, this is the Bible, Abraham heard God. But you've got to stop for a minute and say, what was that like? This man was an idolater. This man had come from generations of idolatry. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees. There was, there's a ziggurat in Ur of the Chaldees. They found it. The archaeologists have found it. And it was a city that worshipped the sun. We know that his house was full of graven images because the scriptures talk about it. And nobody, you know, nobody had been hearing anything from Jehovah for a long time. At least it's not recorded in the Bible. And the Bible says that Abram heard God. And so just stop for a minute and read between the lines and ask yourselves, I wonder what that was like. How did he know that was God? Why did he pay attention to that voice? He'd heard so many other false voices for so long. What got his attention? I, don't, I can't answer the question, but the point of the matter is that God, God's voice did get through to him. And not only did he hear God's voice, but he began to obey God's voice. Wow. In fact, these early steps of hearing and obeying the voice of an unknown God that we just take for granted have given Abram, Abraham now the name, the father of faith. And God's whole redemptive plan on earth began to unfold because of this man's early abilities of deciphering the voice of God. And God made a preposterous promise to this man. This was a 70-year-old man with no children 
And God promised him that he was going to have kids. That he's not going to only have kids, he was going to become the father of a nation. He was going to become the father of a nation that would become so large that you could not number it. And that he was going to give him a piece of real estate. He was going to not just give him a house or an apartment, he was going to give him a country. And I suppose when Abram first started talking a little bit to Sarai and some of the other members of the family about this, they must have thought he was nuts. What do you think? Abraham has lost his mind. Yet he was so convinced that he had heard God that he stepped out in faith and dragged his family kicking and screaming. You read about it there. 1,000 miles across the desert to the land that you and I today call Israel, the promised land. Who was it promised to? Well, it was promised to Abraham. And so God invites us to begin to discern his voice and to exercise the faith to do what we believe that he is saying. And so Abraham began to, began to do that. The other uh, picture up on the screen with the number three over it is a is a little depiction of, of an altar, but it's a unique kind of an altar. And a very interesting study in the uh, 12th, 13th, 14th chapters of Genesis is a study of the altars that were built by Abraham when he arrived in the land of promise. There were several, but they were not, only one of them that we read about was like a sacrificial altar. You know, of course, you know that story about offering his son. But the other times that he built what the scriptures refer to as an altar, it was really more like a monument. It wasn't built to offer sacrifices. It was just simply built as a reminder. And, and the Bible says that when Abraham would hear the voice of God, that he would build an altar there. And the reason he would do that is just so that he would remember that God said something to him there. He wanted to remember that, so he'd pile up some, some rocks, and then every time he'd, he'd travel by that place, he was a Bedouin, he was a, a wanderer. Every time he would go by that place, he'd see that pile of rocks, and it would remind him what God had said, because, you know, circumstances in life make it real easy to forget what God has already said. Can you say amen to that? I sometimes have people come to me and say, I, I need a word from the Lord. I need, I, need, I need some help. I need some direction. I need some counsel. I need to know. You know, almost always I'll ask this question before we get into whatever is going presenting, the issue that's presenting. I'll just say, what has God already said to you? Let's talk about what he's already said to you. And let's see where you are with what he's already promised, what he's already commanded, and see where you are with that. Because maybe before we need a new word, we need to go back and visit the last word or the old word and see if we're in obedience to that. Does that make any sense? Well, I tried that. It didn't work, so I want a new word. No, no, no. Well, didn't God talk to you last time? And what was that like? And what made you think it was God then? And why isn't it God now? And so Abraham would build altars so he wouldn't forget. So I would just simply ask this question today for some of you who find yourself between the horns of a dilemma. What was the last thing God said to you? 
What was the last promise he gave you? What was the last directive that you believed was God? And what, are you, what have you done with that? You need to remember that before you rush on for a new word. And I wasn't planning to say that, but somebody needed to hear that right now. You're scrambling for, a, for something new, and you need to take care of something old. Because one of the things about God's voice is that when he speaks, he doesn't change his mind. Did you hear me? Circumstances may change. Everything may change for us. The Bible says that everything changes. There's one thing we know for sure, things change. But God doesn't change. That's one of the neat things about him. Is he doesn't change. And he wants to keep us on course. And so Abraham would build these altars to remind him. And sometimes he would not only be a reminder to him, but he'd, you know, later on when he had a family and had kids, he'd, he'd go by one of these places and point at it and say, uh, I want to tell you a story about something God said to me over there. See that, see that pile of rocks over there? And it would pass it on to the next generation. Because if it was good for his generation, it was good for the next generation. Now, I, could, I don't have the time here this morning to do it, and it's, it deserves its own message, but I'll just simply stop right now and say we all need to have altars like that in our lives. We all need to have places where we know God spoke to us and we've done something. I don't know if it's a pile of rocks, but you have to do something to remember it. So... I'm, I don't know what I'm doing wrong there. Abraham arrives in the land of promise. So he finally gets there. And uh, we read in Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold from the Negev. He went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been. You know, would you just advance the slides for me? I'm having trouble with this and it's kind of throwing me off a little bit. To Shechem, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. So just hold it right there. I want you to look at this phrase here uh, in, that I have uh, italicized. At that time the Canaanites we're in the land. So, so get the picture and see if you can take something home with you from this. Abraham has obeyed the Lord. The Lord had said to him back in Ur and in Haran where he stopped for a while on his way to Israel, these very words that you find underlined, to your offspring I am going to give a land. This was the original promise of God. And now Abraham arrives in the land that God has promised him. So he's, he's obeyed the Lord. He's being a good boy. He's being a man of faith. He's doing everything he knows to do right. And he gets there, and there's somebody already there. The Canaanites are there. You didn't tell me there were going to be Canaanites. 
You just said you were going to give me a land. You didn't tell me there was going to be a bunch of people here that thought this was theirs. You didn't tell me there was going to be a bunch of people that weren't really excited about the fact that I obeyed you and that I came here. In fact, they want me to leave. What do I do now, God? Remember that picture of Abraham? Well, God speaks to him again. And he builds an altar. God says, I haven't changed my mind. And I need to say to somebody here today, you know, you're obeying God. You've taken a step of faith. You're moving into something that God has promised you. And there's people that aren't encouraging you about it. In fact, they're against what you're doing. They'd like you to stop. They'd like you to quit. It could be members of your family. It could be people you work with. It could be somebody you're in love with. Are you going to stop obeying God because these people aren't with the program? Are you going to stop doing what you know God has told you to do because there's Canaanites in the land and they don't want you to have what God told you you're supposed to take for whatever their personal or selfish or distracted reasons are? That's a decision you need to make. So Abraham decided to pay attention to the voice of God. And he built an altar to the Lord. And he settled in. And he kept going. Some of us today are about to give up. You're about to give in to the voices that say, we don't want you here. We don't want you to do that. That's going to be too hard on us. Don't let those voices dissuade you. Listen to the voice of God. It's awfully quiet in here right now. I didn't expect. I've just learned in my life that uh, some of the people I even love the most are not always really excited about things that I'm doing that I believe are the direction of God. And I certainly know that people who are opposed to the things of God are not happy about my plans. Okay, can I have the next slide? So here's Abraham saying, hey, God, you didn't tell me about those pesky Canaanites. No, but his word hasn't changed. Could I have the next slide? So the next thing is another episode in Abraham's life when he's taken advantage of by someone who he trusted very much. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Lot brought nephew, a nephew with him named Lot into, into the promise with him and shared the promise with him. And he loved this man. He risked his life for him on several occasions. But this guy took advantage of him. Let me show you the story. Could we have the next slide? Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north, the south, the east, the west, and all the lands that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone, next slide, could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you, Abraham. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there, what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord. Well, what had just happened? If you read before this in your Bible, you'll see that 
Lot and Abraham had a conversation, and they decided that they were being so blessed by God that it was getting crowded, and that they needed to spread out. So Abraham said, I have an idea. God has given me all this land. Lot, I'll tell you what. You look the land over that God has promised us, and you choose the part of this land that you'd like to have, and go live there with, take your people and your flocks, and go settle there, and I'll take the rest. I mean, it was a very grandiose promise, uh, offer. I mean, good grief, you got, you, you got to take a hat off for Abraham to say, hey, look it over, take the best. Take what you want. But I don't think he really thought he'd do it. And he did. He took the best. It must have left Abraham with his head spinning. Have you ever felt like this, where you really felt like you were being spiritual, really being gracious, really being a Christian, really being loving? And in the midst of all of your love and your mercy and somebody seriously takes advantage of you. And in this story, that's exactly what Lot did. He took advantage of the graciousness of Abraham. And Abraham questions God and God, what's going on here? I thought I, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was obeying your voice. I thought I was being a good boy. And look what happened to me. I get ripped off. I obey you and I get ripped off. I think I better just take care of myself. And what does God do? He makes the very same promise again to Abram that he'd already made several times before. And Abram said, oh, oh yeah. Someone has ripped me off. Someone has taken advantage of me. But guess what? God is keeping his word with me. It's interesting what happened to the part of the promised land that Lot chose. It was the most fertile, the most beautiful part of the land. But it wouldn't be very long after that that it would be destroyed by fire and brimstone and turned into the, the most barren place on the face of this earth. There's something called the Dead Sea there now because of the judgment of God. It's interesting how things turn out, isn't it, in the long run? What is our point? Could I have the next slide? There's Abraham again shaking his fist at God. Hey, God, how come I got the short end of the stick? When you do the right thing, when you obey God, even if people take advantage of you, you have not gotten the short end of the stick. You have moved yourself even closer in to the fulfillment of the promise that God has made you. Because why? You did the right thing. Which is one of the primary way, reasons God wants to talk to you and I every day is so we will do the right thing. Very quickly, with the little bit of time I have, I want to just give you the third scenario. If I could have the next slide. When Abraham loses his mind, I told you that I have temporary insanity from time to time. Well, the, the darkest episode in the life of Father Abraham is found in Genesis chapter 13 and in chapter 12 just before that. But in Genesis 13, 1 through 4, the scriptures talk about what happened after he 
he came to his senses, and then I'll back up. So Abraham went up from Egypt. See, he'd gone to Egypt. There was a famine in the land. That's interesting. God promised him a land, told him to go there, and then there was a famine there. Things weren't working out. So Abraham said, I guess I better leave. I guess I better leave the promised land. Because obviously God has called me to a place that's dying, not a place of life. So he took his family down into Egypt, which is always a picture of sin. It's always a picture of failure. It's always a picture of compromise. He went down to Egypt, but he didn't just go down to Egypt. He went down to Egypt and became a coward. He went down to Egypt and became a liar. Because when he got down there, he realized that they weren't really happy to have him either. So he figured the only way that he could live there safely was to tell them a big fat lie. And we can't even get our head around it in our culture. And that was that he decided to pass his wife off as his sister and give her to another man so he could save his skin. I'm thinking that Sarah lost her respect for her husband. What do you think? This is what I mean, that he lost his mind. It's interesting what we'll do sometimes when we're trying to take care of ourselves and decide that what God told us to do was a mistake. Well, finally, he came to his senses. And isn't it interesting that when people come to their senses, even when they do despicable things like he did, that God has the capacity to forgive us? And to keep his promise with us in spite of that? But oh, oh, how we have confounded his ability to bless us in the meantime. But Moses comes to his senses and he went up from Egypt with his wife and all that he had. And he went into the Negev. And now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Next slide. Between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. He visited one of his altars. In that particular altar, the scripture records earlier, is where God had said to him again, I'm giving you this land, Abraham. I'm going to bless your seed, Abraham. And he remembered. And he got himself adjusted, recalibrated into the plan of God again and began to move forward. Isn't it important at these times in our life when we take matters into our own hands or when people are taking advantage of us or there's people that aren't exactly thrilled about the fact that we're taking a stand for something, that we can hear the voice of God? That the question is, what does he sound like to you? And we have this beautiful example of this man's life recognizing the voice of God and staying on track. Could I have the next slide, please? So in this case, Abraham, I got a more spiritual picture of him now. Okay. 
Oh, God, you are the keeper of promises, even when I forget my way. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, next slide, please. So we tend to consider quitting when we forget God's promises. We need to build and revisit altars when disappointment and discouragement begins. These are the lessons that we can take from this this morning. Next slide. So this is a great phrase for you to write down. Determination. Determination is faith in action. I am determined to do what God has told me to do already in spite of the circumstances that are trying to turn my head and cause me to stumble and even to give up. Next slide. So we're back to the prison to conclude. So now maybe we can better understand a man in jail who thought all he wanted to do was help people. All he wanted to do was plant churches. All he wanted to do was preach the gospel. All he wanted to do was go to the Philippines and be a missionary for YWAM. And here he is in jail. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, never give up. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I realize that in this room this morning there's got to be people who are throwing their hands up in the air wondering where you are and what's going on and what to do. And I pray that you would break through their circumstances and allow them to hear your voice. And in hearing your voice that they would find the faith and the courage and the de determination to do exactly what you're telling them to do. And if they're not sure that they're hearing you right, that they would find people who they can trust and know to confirm what they sense to be your direction. But I pray, Lord, that people who are stalled, people who are confused, people who are distracted, would sense your presence and hear your voice in the middle of their consternation. Speak to us even now as we go to the communion table. Draw us closer to an understanding of what you sound like. And give us the courage to move forward in a determined way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take those cups that are in front of you, would you? Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. I think the Lord did something for us here today I want to just propose to you, and that is we've been really pushing. I think by the Lord's leading, I pray it's the Lord's leading and not mine. But we've been really pushing to do, right? Not just be hearers, but be doers. And we've been really pushing to move out. And I think the Lord, in the middle of that, the Lord has given us a Sunday to be pastored. If I'd have done the introduction, and thank you, John, for what you did. But what I wanted to say was, is the way, so many reasons why I love Jim, but one of the primary ones is 
I've watched Jim with other Jim with other pastors, and I don't know that I've ever seen anybody better with other pastors. The way that he pastors them. And I just think that God gave us a, a Sunday to be pastored. In the middle of all the things that he is transforming us into, there are all these places that are still going on This life is getting us. So Lord, we come before your throne right now and we want to thank you that you love us, that you care about us, that you know the struggles that we're going through, that you know the things that we face day in and day out, relationally and job-wise and financially and health-wise and all of it, that you know. And God, we just want to come and say, and I want to be careful about this one, but take that bottom cup in which is that body broken for you. And we want to say, Lord, in Jesus' name, we just recognize how many different ways our lives have been broken. Disappointed. Losing sight. Losing hope. Giving up. So we take our finger and we put it in there and we recognize that in many ways it's just been shattered. And yet you, God, come and make us whole. Thank you, Jesus, in your holy and precious name for being on that cross to take brokenness and make it healed and whole. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup together to say, God, we present to you what has been broken, that you might mold us, heal us, fill us, that you already have healed us and made us whole again. Take together saying thank you. Thank you, Lord. And now we lift this cup in which is the life that you have for us. The life that is laid out before us in ways that we have no idea about. But if we will but trust you, we enter into in fullness. Because you make it to happen. So thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, that every single thing that had to happen for my life to be made whole, for my life to be fulfilled in glorious ways, has already been done. I don't need anything else. I just need to enter in because you've got it for me. Thank you. If you are here and you don't know the Lord, what a beautiful time to say yes and amen to him. What a perfect time. This God who heals every broken, every broken part. And then who sets us on a path unto glory. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we lift this cup in which is this incredible life that you have for us. And we say to you, God, make that be my life. Take together, would you please?